In Psalm 139, we're going to get there in a little bit. Uh, I'm going to shoot straight with you. A year ago, I preached this same exact sermon. And, uh, you know, I, 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 normally I don't really like to recycle too much, but the Lord was just kind of on me about it. And um, so it being Mother's Day, we're honoring moms. We're also, uh, we're really just, we're honoring like women in general. And uh, who they are, the role that they play, how God uh, has, has crafted them and built them, um, and how, is how important women are to us. And, you know, the, the church, okay, so Jesus is, when he comes to the earth and he's doing his ministry thing, he's showing us what is real and what's true. He comes into our world, which is uh, busted and broken, and, and so we, we grow up, we come along, and we're learning all these things, but everything that we're learning is bent somehow. You know, so we're learning that you are the most important figure in the whole universe, which you are not. You, we learn that, that things make you happy, which they do not. We learn that your emotions are what drives you, which they are not. We, we learn that uh, money is the most important thing. We learn that uh, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. That was Sheryl Crow. Uh, there, are, there are all these things that we learn when we're growing up, and uh, all of them are wrong. But they're, they're, they're bent versions of what is right. You know? They're not polar opposites all the time. They're just a little bit off. That's what C.S. Lewis says. You know, he says, sin is it's something that's bent. It's close, but it's not, it's not the original. It's not what's true. It's not what is really there. It's not what is real. And so Jesus comes, and you hear him say so often in his teachings, he's like, well, you've been told this, but what I tell you is this. That is, like that, if we could just grab onto that so much. Was, yeah, life has taught you this. Maybe teachers, maybe coaches, maybe parents, maybe friends, maybe television and movies and literature and art and culture and whatever. You have been taught this, but what I tell you is this. And when he is telling us something, he's saying, I'm just going to show you what's real and what's true. I created it all. I watched it all go wrong. I've come to fix it all. This is what's real and what's true. And so the church... What we do is we look at him and what he's essentially doing is bringing truth and reality near and showing us in, in my kingdom, this is how it's supposed to be. He brings the kingdom near. He invites us to also bring the kingdom near. So in the church should be the most real and true place, uh, like in all of culture. Like we should be like the, the beacon for what is, like what is actually going on. It should be most clearly displayed in the church. So in terms of uh, any sort of cultural issue out there, we should be able to look at the church who is looking at the scriptures and say, okay, that's, they're showing us the right model. They're showing us what is real. And right now, gender, is, there's, it's, there's such a battle going on. You know, it's not necessarily new, but it feels like it's morphing and changing and just, you know, it's just there. And so what I want to talk about this morning, if, if you were at Living Hope last year on Mother's Day, I, you know, like I said, I did the same thing, but I feel like it's still important, and there's a bunch of you who weren't there, and I feel like we need to be very clear, um, what, is, what does biblical womanhood look like? Like, what, does the, what do the scriptures say about women, and how can we be in touch with what's real and what's true in such a way that we are showing the, the rest of the world what's up? 
and not learning it from them and not dragging it into here, but we're taking it with us to the streets. And so, you know, this, in the last week or two, Beth Moore wrote, a, wrote this letter to uh, address some of the things that she has faced as a, as a female Bible teacher in the evangelical world. And if you read it, it's heartbreaking. But as you're, I don't know if you, but as I'm reading it, I'm like, yeah, I'm not shocked. You know, that's the, that's the sad part is that you're reading it. And you're like, man, I hate that anyone ever said that to Beth Moore or treated Beth Moore like that. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, I've been around church long enough to know though. Like we're, we aren't getting it right all the time. And I was thinking about this and I wondered if I should say it or not. I'm just going to say it. You know, just, just graciously forgive me. But I wonder if there are churches this morning that are exalting moms and saying, y'all are the best. You're so awesome. You're so great. But you can't serve on all our committees, you know, like we don't really want you leading anything. We don't really want We want you kind of taking care of the nursery, taking care of the kitchen, make sure we have enough green beans and stuff for the, the dinner and stuff. But when it comes to the other stuff, the dudes, we got it covered. I wonder if there is, is a hypocrisy in those two things. And maybe as what, as far as what are we striving to be as a church? Maybe we say, well, it doesn't matter what those other churches are doing. It doesn't matter what the culture's doing. All that matters is what does the Bible say? And we're going to trust that, like, we're going to do what the Bible says there. So what does the Bible say about being a woman? It says a lot, actually. Um, So I'm going to make three points. I'm going to try to cruise through them pretty quickly so I can cover all of them. Three points. Um, And they are, they are, I'll give them to you for my note-taking friends who like to... (laughs) Apparently, like to do that. Being a woman is important. Being a woman, being a woman is an honor. Being a woman is a calling. It's important. It's an honor. It's a calling. Now, my favorite way to, to teach is just to pick a text and just just dissect it and go crazy. But that's not really what's going to happen today. Um, we're going to hop around a bit. We'll get to Psalm one thirty nine in a minute. But the rest of them will be on the screen. So maybe. Um, Maybe just hang tight. So the first one, being a woman is important. What do I mean by that? Well, I, I kind of put it into two categories. One, uh, important to the, to the created order of things. Like, when God made everything, Eve was not an afterthought. You know? He wasn't like, man, something's kind of missing. I'm not sure what it is. It's like no, uh, she came after Adam in the like in the in the narrative, but it wasn't because he was like, yeah, we got to fill in some gaps here, you know. Important to the created order. So Genesis one twenty six through twenty eight kind of lays out, you know, like exactly kind of what what's happening, what's going on, who's been charged to do what, and if you notice. There's a lot of equality in what, what the Bible has to say here. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God blessed them, verse 28. And God said to them, 
Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. When you read, when you read those verses, here's, here's, what, here's Adam and Eve. They both bear the image of God. They both are given dominion over everything. They're both entrusted with the task of multiplication and filling the earth, and they're both charged with creation care. Now, does that sound like equality, or does that sound like inequality? Well, it sounds to me like a lot of equality. Where he's like, hey, dude, you can't do this by yourself. I'm going to make you a helpmate. So what does that mean? That's in uh, chapter 2. What does helpmate mean? Well, uh, sometimes it's, it kind of sounds like it's like, oh, well, you know, you just need like a helper. You need like a wingman. But if you do the research on the word and how that is used in other parts of the Old Testament, it means a strong rescuer. Anyone want to amen that one? Huh? Like a strong rescuer. So here is Adam in over his head, bearing the image of God, having dominion over everything, trying to figure out how do you be fruitful and multiply when it's just one of you. You know, that kind of, like all that kind of stuff. God's like, you know what? You are in need of rescue, and I'm going to provide a strong rescuer for you who is a perfect fit with you. The two complement each other in bearing the image of God. Now, can we just agree that men maybe reflect the image of God differently than women do? Can we just be okay with that? One is not better than the other. One is not more, you know, that, like there are like, it's this full picture that maybe the image of God is so amazing. It takes two genders to even start to like scratch the surface, right? And so they both bear the image of God. They're working together to care for creation, to be fruitful and to multiply, uh, to subdue the earth. They are together in this. And so in the created order, Eve was not an afterthought. Adam needed her. She needed him. Men need women. Women need men. All of those things are there absolutely on purpose. And so as part of the created order, as opposed to chaos, okay, the two genders are there on purpose by God's design. That is one reason why being a woman is important. Here's another one. You're important to the church, ladies. You're important to the church, but I'm talking about like spiritual gifts important to the church. Not nursery in the kitchen, not those kinds of, not hospitality, you know, committees and that kind of stuff. I'm talking about your giftings and how God has wired you up is crucial for the global church. It's crucial for this church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's one of the, one of the go-to passages on spiritual gifts. Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Notice there's, there's varieties, but yet there's this unity that there's a thing that happens. Perhaps a part of what he's talking about is including women in this. Perhaps the gender differences uh, complementing each other is part of what he means. And then verse 7 for me, this is the go-to verse for spiritual gifts of, of, to define it. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given like this, like God showing up in your life in a tangible way. Like that happens, like he has done that uniquely for every single person. 
So to each person is given these unique manifestations of the Spirit, and, and, and we all have all these different mixes. So when, if you were to scan the room, the idea is that we, maybe we get a full picture of God based on the plurality of all these gifts all over the place. And what are they doing? They're, they're strengthening each other's faith. They're building the common good. Now, if you cut women out of that, you're missing a ton there are churches that are very lopsided in terms of acknowledging, recognizing, encouraging, championing spiritual gifts in, in people for a whole bunch of reasons. And sometimes, it's, sometimes it can be race, sometimes it can be age, and sometimes it can be gender. And all of those things are bull. We need to put all that stuff aside and say, it, no, all that matters, all that matters is that the Spirit of God is showing up in your life to strengthen my faith. And so it doesn't matter what you look like, how old you are, where you're from. None of that kind of stuff matters. If God wants to show up in your life to encourage me, i got to be wide open to it. And that is crucial. If you skip to verse 12, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. It's kind of confusing. He's like, hey, I know there's a bunch of, all, of y'all, but you're also one. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. Ladies, you are crucial to what we're doing here. And I hope that you never feel pushed to the side. I hope you never feel that your gifts are not treasured and important. I hope that everything we do, you know you have a voice in. And if there is ever anything that we do that makes you feel otherwise because you are a female... You put that hand in the air and you speak up. Because I'm telling you on behalf of me and our elders and our staff, we, we want to hear what you have to say. We want to turn you loose to be who God made you to be. And if that has ever been hindered, I apologize. And we're going to turn the ship around if that's the case for you. So don't be surprised when uh, we have women serving communion and we have uh, women staff members and we have women deacons. When we first started doing our deacons and we had women, there were people who were like, Hey, is that, isn't that against like the Baptist rules? You know, I was like, Oh, like, like the, you can't, you can't dance like that. They're like, yeah, isn't that in there somewhere in the Baptist faith message? Like, no, it's not in there. And women deacons are in the Bible. So if it, even if it was in the Baptist faith message, we, that comes very, very secondary. And so we want to follow the scriptures and we will follow the scriptures and we will let that be our guide. And um, we're going to follow what God tells us to do. And so we always want that to be the case. Now, there there are times when people will use as a weapon some of those places in scripture. You know, where Paul is addressing specific issues with specific churches going on and and they'll say, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Like, is, doesn't this mean that women shouldn't, shouldn't be able to be deacons or shouldn't be able to you know, serve communion or shouldn't, shouldn't be able to do this and this and this? And uh, to that, I would say, one, you always look at Jesus first. Like, Je- like interpreting a lot of the other parts of the Bible can be difficult, but like interpreting Jesus is pretty easy. When he's like welcoming Mary, like I talked about last week, Mary to sit at his feet as his disciple. When he's including women in his, in his group of disciples, when women are chosen to be the first ones to, to find out that he's alive again, you know, like there are, are, there is so much inclusion in him. 
And then when you go to some of Paul's letters, and I have some examples here, and I don't, I don't really have time to get into it. But let me just say this, that there is, uh, when you start to study where it's like women should have their head covered and that kind of stuff. Like those were cultural things that Paul was, was, was giving them instruction in order to, for the women to be able to be appropriately countercultural, but not anti-culture, you know? He wasn't saying like, let's just, let's just turn the whole, everything upside down. Let's create all this chaos. He's like, no, we want to be counterculture. Like we want to do things differently than the, than the pagans do. But at the same time, we don't want to cause like such a riot that it's like, it's like this, that draw, like draws like the weird, the wrong kind of attention to things. So even the head covering thing. So men, uh, when they were in other cultures, in the pagan cultures, when they worship idols, they would, they would cover their heads. And so he tells the men, like, don't cover your head. Don't pray to God the way the pagans do. But then for women, for them to have head covers, was a, their head covers was a sign that they were married. And so uh, they wanted to take their head coverings off whenever they prayed. But he said, no, what that is doing, it'd be like the equivalent of a bunch of married women going out for girls' night, and they all take their wedding rings off. Like, that's, a, that's disrespectful to their husbands. So he's like, no, keep your head covered because you're still married when you're praying. And so he was helping them sort out some of those kinds of issues. Uh, when, the, when they talk about the, the women like not speaking up in the service, it was because they didn't speak the same language. Like they weren't allowed language training the way that the men were. And so in the, in the synagogue and in these teaching times, they're, be, they're speaking and the women have no idea what's going on. Plus they're seated on two separate sides of the room culturally. And so just like in here, if I was speaking a language and only this side of the room knew what was going on, eventually this side of the room would begin to murmur. And so he's like, okay, hey, for those who, like, because, cultural, because culture doesn't let you learn, you, this side needs to be silent. This side can learn. And then when you go home, this side needs to teach this side. Like, go home and interpret it. But you need to be quiet so that this side can learn so that you can then learn afterwards. So he's actually, at turning women loose, he's actually uh, lobbying for the education of, of women. There is a lot more inclusion there uh, than it may seem to be. So when you look at the New Testament and you look at the life of Jesus, you look at what Paul says and what Peter says, just know, ladies, that you are important to this church and you will continue to be important to this church. And we want to fight to make sure that this is never a place that uh, is anything other than a reflection of Jesus in his ministry. And so being a woman is important. It's important to the created order. It's important to the church. It's important to our church. And so I hope that that is affirming to you. Here's, here's the second thing. This is where we go to Psalm 139. Being a woman is an honor. Look at verse 13 through 17. Now, some, sometimes we, we look at this passage of Scripture and we think about our personalities. You know, we think about our interests and what we like to do and our Enneagram number and like all these kinds of things. But think about this when it comes to gender, ladies. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. 
that when God was making you, like there's this poetic language about being woven in the depths of the earth and all that. That's just poetry. I said, look, when, when all the biological stuff that's going on in there is happening, that God is intentionally making you a woman. Like he was not like, oh, yeah, we'll roll the dice, see where this goes. He's like, no, I want you to be female. That this is about gender as much as it is personality, as much as it is about anything else. And for David to say, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How precious to me, O God, that you chose me, you decided intentionally on purpose for me to be a woman. For me to bear the image of God and have these gifts and to to be a part of strengthening the faith of the church and to be a part of people coming to know him as a female. Ladies, you you need to grab onto that. Like That needs to be awesome to you. It needs to be the most freeing thing in the world to you. To be grateful that you were chosen this way on purpose by your God. And if for some reason that is not awesome to you, I pray that you will dig into it more. Because it's awesome to him. Like you're awesome to him. It's important and it is an honor. Here's the last one. Being a woman is a calling. Especially in, in light of the first two points. Like you, are, you are, are called to walk in some pretty amazing things as a woman. So embrace it and own it. And chase after all the things the scriptures have to say about you. And pursue the fullness of this calling. There's a few scriptures that come to mind. I'm going to kind of wrap up here. So Proverbs 31 is kind of like one of those like go-to things, right? In verse 25 and 26, it says, Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Like, ladies, like those kinds of passages that speak uniquely to what it means to be a woman, like, that is for you. Like, that is to be grabbed onto that is a part of what he has called you to. Now, it's going to look different to everyone. I'm not saying, like, you need to be a girly girl. I'm not saying that either. I'm not trying to say anything about how that shows up. He's not talking anything about the way that the world talks about it. He's saying, look, strength and dignity are her clothing. Like, that's, like strength and dignity show up in all kinds of different ways. So let, let it show up in your natural personality, your natural how you are. But strength and dignity, she laughs at the time to come. Like, she ain't freaking out about the future. She trusts her, her God. It's going to be fine. And some of you are like, that's not really me. Okay, well, work toward that. That that's what he has for you. She opens her mouth with wisdom. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. These are not just haphazard scriptures. God has put these here to give you something. It's like, okay, uh, is that where you're leading me? He's like, yes. I'm like, okay, cool. Let me get on board with that. First Peter 3. 3 and 4 says, Do not let your adorning be external, braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet, quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And some of you are like, Hold on. A gentle and quiet spirit? Are you trying to like hold me down? I'm like, no. It's not really what's going on. He's basically saying, Hey, isn't the whole world trying to make you, just like verse 3? 
where your adorning is external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and the clothing that you wear? Like, isn't that the message that's constantly coming? And Peter's saying, hey, uh, you've been told that, but what I tell you is this, it's about your internal life. It's about who, it's about who you are. It's about your character. It's about Christ-likeness and how that shows up. So don't buy into the garbage that the world's throwing at you. Just don't. Titus 2 and 3. I'm sorry. Titus 2, verse 3 through 5. Older women, likewise, to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, be self-controlled, pure, working at home, all this kind of stuff. Like that, like there, there is this teaching that happens from one generation to the next, and a learning that happens from one generation to the next. And so, ladies, where do you think, where do you think all the young ladies in this room are going to learn this stuff from? They're going to learn from you. Moms, where are, they gonna, where is your, where are your daughters going to learn this stuff from? They're going to learn it from you. Where are all those little girls in the nursery back there going to learn it from? They're going to learn it from us. Us. They got a lot of messages coming at them from all kinds of other places. And the Bible is like, hey, just teach them. Teach them to love the Lord. Teach them where their identity comes from. Teach them not to fall into what into the trap of making what describes you everything in your whole world. But it's not about what describes you. What defines you, it's your identity. They're going to learn all that stuff. So men, guess what we get to do? We get to champion all this stuff being real. We, like, we are a part of the ladies in the room walking out their calling, just like they're a part of us walking out our calling. And so dads, if you have little girls, you affirm the heck out of them. You tell, you tell them this stuff. You tell them how great their mom is. You, tell them, you show them examples of godly women. You encourage them. You work on their character development. You affirm like the deep parts of them. You speak that life to them. Men in the church, you listen to the women who are gifted. And that's every one of them, by the way. You, you listen to them in, in community group. You listen to them when they pray. You listen to those things. You be encouraged by that. We, we make this a reality together. Because this is by far not the best women's, uh, like biblical womanhood sermon you've ever heard. Okay? It's not the best one ever uttered. But I know this. I've not been doing this for super long, but I've been doing this long enough to know. I, I could preach the best sermon. Any, anyone could get up here and preach literally the best sermon shy of the Sermon on the Mount. It ain't going to bring change about necessarily, you know? Like you, you either grab onto this and say yes to it or you say no to it. It, it, but it's a, like we have to just, we have to make a decision. Who do we want to be? You know, ladies, you have to you have to decide who like who who am I? Do I want to say yes to what Jesus is offering to me? Men, we have to we have to listen to this. We have to say, do I want to be a part of that kind of church? And how can I help like continue to like form it and shape it? Do I believe that that Jesus has? called me to bear his image and to do so beautifully in a spectacular way. Are we, are we here to be a beacon in the world that says this is what's real and this is what's true about any issue? Jesus is inviting us into these kinds of realities.
And so, men, I hope that this, I hope that, that this is helpful to us as we try to figure out, like, how can I, how can I be a, a part of really just, like, turning everyone loose in their gifts, especially the ladies? But ladies, I hope that you're affirmed, not by me, but by what God says. I mean, I hope you're affirmed by me, but, you know, you know what I'm saying? Because this is what's real for us, and this is what's true. And so I don't know how you respond to something like this, you know. Um, I think you're. I think it really comes down though to responding to everything that we talk about together. That Jesus is inviting us into His life. He's making that offer to us. And so there are some ways that we respond here at Living Hope uh, to the to the proclaimed word. Uh, you can sing, which will give you a chance to do that. Not right now, but we'll give you a chance to do that. Um, you can pray. These steps will be open for you to come and to pray. Our ministers will have a couple on the front row here um, that will be there and um, would love to be able to pray with you if there's something specific going on. Uh, you can give. There's some, like some giving stations over here if, if tithing is a part of your response. Um, and then we'll serve communion, which is Jesus. Because see, the, the body and blood of Jesus is the key to all this. Like we... You can't have you can't have this become a reality without like His grace at work for us. And so, whether you whether it's sing or pray or give or receive communion or whatever it needs to be for you, we're going to move around the room a little bit here. Um, but I I desperately want this for us, you know. And I don't again. This is not one of those like corrective things. Like I'm not like okay, we really need to like fix this. Uh, I think it's just about setting the record straight. And on a day when we, when we honor the women in our lives, to do so from the scriptural perspective, I think is really crucial. So let me pray for us. Why don't you stand as the band comes back. We'll spend a few minutes just responding. Father, uh, you are, um, you're, just, of course, so good to us and thankful for a day when we can honor uh, the women in our lives and especially just to think about it in, in light of some of these scriptures, in light of creation and how the church has been put together. And and certainly we, we want this uh, because it's what you have in mind for us. And so in these moments, as we respond in prayer and, and communion in all these different ways, um, whatever is stirring in our hearts, whether it's repentance, whether it's a struggle to, to embrace it, or whether maybe, maybe there's some who are just, they can't wait uh, to embrace it, whatever that might be. God, we want to honor you as we acknowledge uh, your gifts to us, uh, your gift in Jesus and your gift uh, through one another and the relationships and how you've put everything together so so perfectly and wonderfully. And so would you bring affirmation and encouragement or correction or whatever it is. May we be open to that as we respond. We love you and we pray all this uh, in the good and perfect name of Jesus. Amen. All right. The tables are, are open whenever you're, come, whenever you're ready. You can come.